You're listening to a sermon preached at Cross and Crown in Melbourne. We believe that God speaks through the Bible and He calls us to preach the Word and proclaim His Gospel. We pray that as you listen, you will be strengthened to know, love and live for Jesus. Hi, Cross and Crown Church. My name is Matt, and uh, it's a real honor to be able to share God's Word with you today. Um, when I first heard about Cross and Crown Church, it was before you guys were actually formed, and um, I've been praying for your church. Um, and even before I was friends with your pastor, um, I've been praying that God might grow your church and use your church. Um, so from a distance, as I've been watching that happen, uh, it's been a real joy. And I think that's why um, I'm even more sad that I can't be there in, in, in the flesh physically with you guys. Um, yeah, I was, it was going to be one of the highlights of my year to be, to be able to worship alongside you guys down there in Melbourne. Uh, but, you know, obviously we can't travel right now, but it is still a privilege for me to share God's Word with you, um, and I believe you've just had the Bible reading. Um, so it's Good Friday today, and I thought because it is Good Friday, the day which uh, we Christians traditionally believe is the day that our Lord Jesus died for us, um, I thought it might be good for us to look at a portion of Scripture which tells us pretty much um, a day in the life of Jesus. And, and, and I thought this would be a good passage to look at today, John chapter 11. So if you have your Bibles, I'll ask you to uh, keep that open there, and we're going to go through this passage together. But before we do that, I'm going to pray for us. Uh, please join me in prayer. Father, we come before you um, so grateful that you are a God who loves us, and that you are a God who speaks to us. Father, we thank you so much that you speak to us in and through your word. And Lord, as we look at this portion of your word now, um, at our Good Friday service here, we pray that you might speak to us um, in a way that we can understand. And we pray that you might stir our affections for Jesus. Help us to love him more, for we ask it in his name. Amen. Amen. Um, a few years ago, one of my aunties passed away. She battled with cancer for many months, and on the 13th of June, 2014, she died. At her funeral, um, as I saw her body in that little box, um, I was really sad, and as I watched them lower the coffin into the ground, uh, a thought came to my mind. And my thought of the day, my conclusion was, death sucks. That was all I had to say. As I looked around at family and friends, some people crying, um, my cousins who lost their mum. It hit me and it reminded me again that death sucks. Death is difficult, it's hard to deal with, it seems unnatural, uh, and the whole thing is just sad. Um, this coronavirus uh, today, uh, it's killed more than 40,000 people worldwide, and I'm sure for the many thousands and thousands of people who are mourning the death of a loved one, they would agree with me when I say that death really does suck. Death is terrible, and if you've ever lost someone that you loved, maybe it's um, a parent, maybe it's a friend or a family member, you'll agree with me that death really is the enemy, and that death sucks. Um, in our time together today, I wanted to ask you a question, and the question was, is there a way to beat death? Is there a way where death does not have the last word over us? Is there a way to beat death? 
Friends, this passage that we've just read in John chapter 11 is going to tell us the answer. And it's going to tell us that the answer lies in Jesus Christ. Is there a way to beat death? Friends, if you have your Bibles open there, I'll give you a quick recap of the story. This story of Jesus raising the dead man Lazarus from the grave, it is a signpost. It functions like a signpost. This story acts as a signpost and it points us to Jesus. It points us to who he is um, as we look at this story. If I'm at church with you guys right now, let's just pretend I'm at church, Glen Waverley, with you guys in Melbourne, and if I want to drive to the city, then I'll get on the M1, and as I drive, I'll pass a big green thing on my left, and it'll say, Melbourne, 20. And what that means is, it's telling me that I'm going in the right direction. It's a signpost. It's a signpost pointing me in the right direction. It's telling me, if I keep going this way, I'm going to arrive at my destination, which is Melbourne CBD. This story that we're looking at today, of Jesus raising this dead man from the grave, this is a signpost, and it's pointing us in the right direction, and it's telling us if we keep following this story and following the signpost, we're going to arrive at the destination, which is Jesus. As we look at this event today, I want to share with you five surprises from this story. Five surprises. Uh, just amazingly, the five surprises are found in verse 5, 10, 5, 15, 25, 35, and 45. So there's surprises. 5, 15, 25, 35, 45. Uh, I didn't even make that up. That's just how it is. I'm not cheating. But the story opens up in John chapter 11. And you'll agree, and you'll remember from the reading, story opens up with a man called Lazarus. In verse 1, we find out that Lazarus is sick. Later in verse 11, we hear that he is dead. He was sick. And then he's dead. Verse 11 says he's fallen asleep, which actually means that he's dead. Jesus confirms his death in verse 13 as well. Lazarus was sick and he dies. His two friends' sister, no, his two sisters, Mary and Martha, they send word to Jesus to let him know that his good friend Lazarus is very sick. Friends, here is the first surprise. Look with me at verse 5 and 6. Look with me at verse 5 and 6. Now Jesus loved Martha, her sister, and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. If you have the power to heal the sick, and if you just find out that one of your good friends is sick and actually is dying, then what's the normal thing to do? What's the natural automatic response? You drop what you're doing and you go heal them, right? You love them, you just go heal them, right? Friends, the first surprise is this. Jesus refuses to heal a friend so that he can do something even better. Jesus refuses to heal a friend so he can do something even better. Jesus finds out that his friend Lazarus is sick, and upon hearing this news, he decides to stay in town two more days. He delays time intentionally, knowing that in that time, Lazarus is going to die. Look with me at verse 4. When Jesus heard it, he said, This sickness will not end in death, but it's for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Jesus is saying that the purpose of Lazarus' sickness and death is for God to glorify his Son. For God the Father to glorify God the Son. The whole point of this tragedy, the whole point of Lazarus dying, was so that God could magnify, elevate, glorify, make famous, praise the name of his Son, Jesus. God wants to glorify Jesus. And you might ask, how is Jesus going to be glorified? How is he going to be lifted up? Well, Jesus, in a moment, is going to do something that no one else can do. And in doing so, he will be glorified. He's going to bring back Lazarus from the dead. 
and that's going to bring God glory. Well, that's the first surprise that we see in this passage. Jesus refuses to heal a friend so he can do something even better. The second surprise is this. The second surprise we find in verse 14 and 15. Look with me at verse 14 and 15. So Jesus then told them plainly, Lazarus has died. I'm glad for you that I wasn't there so that you may believe, but let's go to him. It says here in this passage that Jesus was glad that he was not there. And the second surprise, friends, is this. Jesus is glad to let Lazarus die so that people will know of his power over the grave. Jesus is glad to let Lazarus die so that people will know of his power over the grave. Remember, like I said earlier, the story, it functions like a signpost. It's, it's pointing us to who Jesus is. It's showing us who Jesus is. This chapter shows us who Jesus is. And Jesus is glad to let his friend Lazarus die if that means all the more people will see Jesus and his power over the grave. But the story continues. Jesus and his disciples, they go to this town called Bethany to meet with Mary and Martha, the two sisters. It says here in verse 17 that Lazarus is way dead now. He's been in the tomb, verse 17, for four days um, in ancient Middle Eastern societies. Obviously, they didn't have medical technology like we did. Um, if you were dead in the grave for more than three days, you were officially, legally certified dead. You weren't asleep. You weren't in a coma. You weren't just having a long nap. If you're in the grave for more than three days, you're officially dead. The author's trying to let us know this guy is really dead. He's not sleeping. He's not resting. He's not in a coma. This guy is dead. So he gets there. Martha meets him. And she says something to Jesus that's quite bittersweet. She says this in verse 21. She says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. You can sense disappointment in her voice. But at the same time, she has a bit of hope. She's a little bit disappointed, but she's a little bit hopeful. Because right after that, she says this in verse 22. She says, even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. So on the one hand, she's a little bit disappointed. On the other hand, she has a bit of hope. She understands who Jesus is, and she has a bit of hope. And then Jesus responds to her by saying this, your brother will rise again. But friends, the problem is, all good Jews believed that all good Jews would one day rise again. All good Jews believed in what's known as the resurrection day, in the future that is to come, one day. All faithful Jews belonging to God, they'll be resurrected. She knows this, so she responds to him and she says, Oh, I know he's going to be resurrected at the last day. But what she doesn't know is that Jesus is the resurrection. Friends, what she doesn't know is that she's actually standing face to face with the resurrection. Jesus is resurrection personified. And she is standing in front of him. What she doesn't know is that Jesus doesn't just point forward to the resurrection. He is the resurrection. Jesus doesn't just give hope about the future resurrection. He is the resurrection. He doesn't just tell people to blindly put some, put your faith in something that's one day to come. He says, no, 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 no. I am the resurrection. You do business with me. That's how you enter the resurrection community, by doing business with me now while you're alive. And friends, that's the third surprise that we see in this story. The third surprise we see in this story is that Jesus teaches that the resurrection is not some vague thing in the future, but it means facing him now. That's the third surprise that we see. Jesus teaches that the resurrection is not some vague thing in the future, but it means facing him now. 
A few years ago, I was hanging out and I was uh, waiting for my friend outside a church and I was sitting on the church stone wall and I met an, an older gentleman, this, this old grandpa guy. And we sat there, we got talking and eventually I asked him, I said, do you know the Lord? And he said to me, do I know who? And I said, do you know the Lord Jesus Christ, the son of God? And he said to me, son, I was born into the church. I grew up in the church. And I said, that's great. But do you know the Lord? And do you know why he's died for you? And this old man began to tell me, son, when I was young, I was a leader of my youth group. I was on the church management committee. And I said, that's great. But do you know the Lord? And do you know why he's died for you? Friends, as far as I can see, this old man, he doesn't know the Lord. As far as I can see, he doesn't know the Lord Jesus and why he's died. And therefore, he hasn't come to the resurrection yet. And therefore, there's no use for him saying, I'm just going to keep going until I expire and just hope that I wake up in the resurrection. Because Jesus says, if you want to join the resurrection, you do it in this lifetime facing me now. That's what Jesus says. Jesus says, I am the resurrection. I am the resurrection. Resurrection is not a day in the future. It's me. I am the resurrection. And when you put your trust in me, that is when your resurrection begins. And friends, there's a third surprise. Jesus teaches that the resurrection is not some vague thing in the future, but it means facing him now. Friends, the fourth surprise, the fourth surprise is found in verse 35. Look with me at verse 35. Jesus wept. Lazarus is dead. Jesus asks Mary, where have you laid him? And then he weeps. He cries. Friends, the fourth surprise is this. Jesus weeps even though he knows he's about to bring Lazarus back from the grave. Jesus weeps even though he knows he's about to bring Lazarus back from the grave. Friends, here's the thing. Jesus knows something in this story that no one else knows. Jesus alone knows that in a few moments, he's going to do the impossible and he's going to bring back Lazarus from the grave. So why does he weep? Friends, he weeps because there's a mixture of emotions going on in his heart right now. He's angry and he's sad. Firstly, he's angry. He's extremely angry. Have you ever been so angry you can't even scream? Have you ever been so angry where all you can do is sit there and cry? Jesus is extremely angry at death. He's extremely angry at sin. Jesus is reminded in this moment of the power of sin. Jesus is reminded powerfully in front of him with all these people that are mourning, these funeral proceedings. Jesus is reminded of the power of sin and how sin leads to death. Both spiritually, eternally, but also physically, it leads to death. Jesus is angry at sin, which causes death, and he's so angry that he weeps. As a Christian, I, I read this part and I, I wonder what it would look like if, if only I hated sin, just like Jesus did. Jesus is not only angry, he's sad. Jesus weeps because he's sad. This passage has told us multiple times already that Jesus was close with his family. Mary, Martha, Lazarus, they were close friends. His heart is filled with compassion and empathy. And just as a friend, he's brokenhearted. So he weeps. He cries. And I think 
it's a powerful thing to remember that we worship a Savior who weeps with us. He comes to the tomb, and then he tells them to remove the big stone door to the tomb. Martha helpfully tells him, uh, Martha's always helpful, Martha helpfully tells him that her brother's dead body has been decomposing for four days. Um, She tells him it's going to smell bad, there's going to be a bad odor. Now in the old King James Version, this verse is translated, but Lord, he stinketh, he is going to stink. There's a bad smell, Jesus understands that, I mean he's God, he knows everything. Uh, And then Jesus does what no one else in this moment can do. Jesus does what no one else in all of human history can do. Remember, Jesus has just told Martha that he is the resurrection and the life. Now he puts his money where his mouth is, about to prove it. Now he's about to back up his claim. Now he's about to show them and prove to them the truth about himself, that he really is a resurrection. And he brings back Lazarus from the dead. Look with me at verse 40 to 44. Look with me at verse 40 to 44. Jesus said to her, Didn't I tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they removed the stone. Then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you heard me. I know that you always hear me, but because of the crowd standing here, I said this, so that they may believe you sent me. After he said this, he shouted with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, bound hand and foot with linen strips, and with his face wrapped in a cloth, Jesus said to him, Unwrap him and let him go. And friends, that's the fifth surprise in our story. The fifth surprise is found in verse 45. Look with me at verse 45. This is how it reads. Therefore, many of the Jews who came to Mary and saw what he did believed in him. The fifth surprise is this. People believe in Jesus. That's the fifth surprise that we see. It's surprising to see that people follow the signpost and they arrive at the destination. The Jews that were there, they saw him, they heard what he said about himself, he's a resurrection, and then they see the miracle and they get it. And they put their trust in Jesus. Friends, this miracle of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead, it was just a signpost. It points to who Jesus is. What does this miracle tell us about Jesus? It tells us a few things. Firstly, it tells us that he really is the resurrection and the life. It tells us that he's not a liar, but he tells the truth about himself. It tells us that he's fully God, because he can bring someone back from the dead, and he's fully man. He weeps with those who weep. Friends, earlier I asked you a question. Is there a way to beat death? Is there a way to beat death? And don't you think in this critical time that we're living in, where most of us are are bound to our homes because of the coronavirus, don't you think the world has been powerfully reminded of the impact of death and the power of death? And earlier I asked you, is there a way to beat death? According to this passage, the answer is yes. Yes. Jesus is the way we can beat death. Because of Jesus, Death doesn't have to have the last say over us. Friends, in the same way that Mary, Martha, and Lazarus come face to face with Jesus, as you and I look at this passage, as we look at this story today, we come face to face with Jesus. And this Jesus Christ, the man who claims to be the resurrection and the life, he asks you a question today, and he asks me a question. He asks you a question, and the question is this. Do you believe? 
Do you believe? That's his question. Don't take my word. Look with me there at verse 25, 26. Verse 25, 26. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Through this word today, Jesus is asking you a question. Do you believe him when he says that he is the resurrection and the life? Do you believe him when he says that he is God come in the flesh to die for our sins? Friends, our passage here in John chapter 11, what I love about this story is that Jesus says something and then he backs that up. How many times have you and I been lied to by people? They say something, they can't back it up. Jesus says it. I am the resurrection and the life. And then he does it. He brings back his friend from the dead, proving that he's not a liar, that he really is the resurrection and the life. Friends, the man who's writing all this down for us, his name is John, John the Apostle. He's writing this gospel account for us. And later on in chapter 20, he's going to say this. He's going to say, these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing that you may have life in his name. What's his point? John's trying to tell us that not, not just chapter 11, but this whole book, the whole gospel of John is a big signpost pointing us to Jesus. What is more, not just the whole book, the whole Bible, the whole written word of God is a big signpost pointing us to Jesus. And according to God's word, if you and I believe in Jesus, then we have life, then we have resurrection, then we're in the resurrection. But according to this word, if we do not believe in Jesus, if we are not in Christ, then we are not in the resurrection and the life. This passage shows us if we are in Christ, we have life. Now and forevermore, it also shows us the opposite is also true. If we are not in Christ, then we have death. Friends, perhaps you're watching this today on Good Friday, and perhaps you're not quite sure if you have this resurrection or not. In other words, Perhaps you've tuned into this Good Friday message and you're not quite sure what's going to happen to your life when you die. God tells us in his word today that for those of us who are in Christ, they are in the resurrection. Those of us who are outside of Christ are outside of the resurrection. Friends, today is Good Friday and Every year, come Easter, we're reminded of the death of Christ. On this day, some 2,000 years ago, Jesus of Nazareth died on a cross. The Bible tells us he died to take away your sin from you. The Bible shows us the God of creation is a holy God. When it comes to sin, he can't condone it. He can't just turn the other way. He can't just part, he can't just look the other way. He can't just allow sin. It goes against his very nature. And if you are a sinner, like I am, like we all are, and if God is holy, then we must pay for our sin. The reason why Good Friday is called good, even though our Savior has died a gruesome and a shameful death, it's good because if sinners like you and me can place our trust and faith in Him, then our guilt and shame of sin has been far removed from us. 
If you're watching this and if you're not yet a believer in Jesus, if you're not yet in the resurrection, then today we want to make, we want to invite you to make a response. You have a pastor that loves you and prays for you. Pastor Adam is a godly man. Your church has great leaders and deacons. This Good Friday, I urge you to examine who Jesus is. Examine the signpost and arrive at the destination. Look at who Jesus is. Put your trust in Him. Repent of your sins. Believe the gospel. Commit your life to Him and become a follower of Christ today. If you want to become a Christian today, then as soon as this video is over, I'm going to invite you to, to call Pastor Adam or to call one of your deacons and, and they can explain to you what it looks like to become a follower of Christ today. For those of you who are watching this and you're a member of Cross and Crown and you are a Christian, you hear this, you read this and you realize, I am in the resurrection and the life. And I do have this great assurance of salvation that God has kindly given to me. We look at this passage and we're reminded as Christians, perhaps some of your friends, perhaps some of your family members are not yet in the resurrection. If that's you today, and if you're heartbroken that the people that you love and care for are not yet in the resurrection and the life, then I think this passage demands us to reach out to them with the gospel. I think the great application for those of us who are believers of Christ, watching this, listening to this, and hearing this, the great application is we must share the gospel. And yes, we understand we're trapped in our homes most of the week. We can't go anywhere except for essential things. But I wonder, when you came to Christ, didn't someone share the message of the gospel with you? I wonder, my Christian friend, is there someone you can share the message of the gospel with? Let me ask you, what's it going to take? Is it going to take a phone call? Can you maybe buy a Bible and have it delivered to the house and maybe agree to meet once a week over Zoom and read it together with them? I wonder maybe you could write your testimony and just send it to them old school like a letter, urging them to put their trust in Jesus because He's worthy and because He's awesome and because they can have forgiveness in His name. Friends, I think the great temptation for those of us who are living in such a wealthy country like this, going through a crisis like this, I think the great temptation is to put everything on pause. To say, Jesus, I'll follow you faithfully in two years' time when this thing's all over. Oh God, I'll invite my friends to church maybe when this is all over, but I'm taking a break from life, including faith. And I think if you're a Christian, you can't do that. I think the captain of your soul, Jesus Christ, I think it demands you to obey His Word. His Word today for the Christian is invite people to the resurrection and the life. They did a survey in the States and they surveyed 40,000 Christians. Um, and the survey proved that more than 80% of them first came to church or first heard the gospel or became a Christian because of someone else and their witness to them. I think it's definitely true in our lives as well. I'm a Christian today because my sister shared the gospel with me. Friends, I wonder, even though you're stuck at home, who can you be praying for? Who can you be pleading with? Who can you gift a Bible to? Who can you write to? Who can you text? Who can you send a gift to? Who can you call? Who can you email? Who can you reach out to that needs to know this resurrection and the life? Something which convicts me about this passage when it comes to evangelism is I think the very nature of evangelism is we need to have urgency, I think, 
And one of the things that I've been realizing through this crisis, um, this, this pandemic, is we don't know when we're going to die. There are people around the world literally dropping dead right now, and most of them probably didn't think that early 2020 they would breathe their last. Just a couple of weeks ago, near my house, a drunk driver ran over a couple of kids, and they're dead. My point is this. We need great urgency when it comes to sharing the gospel. You and I, we don't know when people... What we do know is that if people die in Christ, they're saved. That's what we do know. We know the power of the gospel. But what we don't know is when they're going to die. So this Good Friday, let me challenge you. Who is someone that you can share the gospel with? Who is someone you can be praying for? And when this whole thing is over, who's someone that you can be inviting to church? My hope and prayer for you, cross and crown, would be that God takes you from strength to strength. My hope and prayer for you, um, even though I'm the guest preacher, I, I love your church from afar, and I'm a big fan of what you guys do. My hope and prayer is that after this pandemic, that each of you would come back to church a more mature Christian, a more able Christian, a more passionate follower of Christ. My hope and prayer for you and for me is that we might continue to become people of God that are effective in our witness to Him, that grow in our holiness and our desire for Jesus. May we continue to love Him all the more this Easter. Let's pray. Father, we thank You so much that You have sent Your one and only Son to die for us. We thank You that even though we don't deserve it, that because of your love for us and your kindness to us, that you have sent us, your son, Jesus, to die for us. Father, we pray for those of us who are not yet believers in him, that you might give us faith, which saves. Help us, Lord, to see him for who he is and to put our trust in him. Father, we pray for those of us who are followers and believers and worshipers of Jesus. We pray that you might strengthen us in our gospel convictions, Won't you strengthen us in our commitment to Him and our commitment to make Him known, both in Melbourne and all over the world. Father, we pray for ourselves as a church. We pray that Cross and Crown might flourish with a gospel witness, that you might use them powerfully for your kingdom-building purposes. And we ask that you might do that, not for our reputation, but for Jesus. Amen.